0: Podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti, thank you as always for listening. I have three parts for you on today's episode, which is brought to you by Betstamp, the world's first verified buy-sell marketplace for sports betting picks. In Part 1, I'll review our match against Spezia on Saturday. In Part 2, I'll provide an update on the Primavera and a very quick update on the Feminile. And finally, in Part 3, I will preview our match on Wednesday against Rangers. So let's get started with the match against Spezia on Saturday. As you know, Napoli won the match 1-0 on a very late goal from Giacomo Raspadori. That was his first goal of the season and it could not have come at a more opportune time. It certainly changed the narrative of the match. It was the type of match that was all too familiar for Napoli fans. We dominated the play, we created a ton of chances, and yet we were within minutes of dropping points again at home against lesser opposition. The result changed the narrative for Spalletti as well who once again rotated a fair amount for this match and was bold enough to remove Cavada instead of a struggling Raspadori. Spalletti's only mistake was getting himself sent off at the end of the match. He also had an interesting exchange with journalist Rafael Aurillama during his post-match conference. We'll cover all of that in this review, but first, let's review the starting lineups. Despite the draw against Lecce, Luciano Spalletti rotated heavily again for this match he lined up in the 4-3-3 with Alex Meret in goal. Juan Jesus gave Kim min Jae a rest, which I wasn't particularly concerned about as Jesus and Amir Rachmani played well together last season when Koulibaly was away at AFCON. Mario Rui returned to the starting 11, replacing Matias Oliveira, who played against Liverpool. And of course, Giovanni Di Lorenzo started again at right-back. Spalletti made two changes in the midfield, starting Tangi and Dombelé over Stanislav Lobotka and Elif Elmas over Piotr Zieliński. Remarkably, Andre Frank Zambuangisa started again in the midfield. I'll come back to that in just a moment. Up top, Spalletti stuck with the same wingers he used in the Liverpool match. Khvicha Kvaratskhelia played on the left wing and Matteo Politano started on the right wing. Finally, Victor Ossiman was out after suffering a second-degree thigh strain against Liverpool, which, according to the latest reports, will keep him out for three weeks. Giacomo Raspadori started in his place as a false nine or perhaps as a nine and a half. For Spezia, Luca Gotti made only two changes to the squad that he fielded in the previous round against Bologna. Of course, Spezia did not have a midweek fixture, so that made sense. He lined up in his usual 3 5 2 formation with Bartolome Drangowski in goal. Ethan Ampidou returned to the starting 11 to start over Petko Hristov. He played in the back three with Jakub Kivior and Dimitris Nikolaou. Arkaduz and Emil Holmes started at left and right wing back respectively. Gotti made one change to the midfield three. Mehdi Burabia started in the middle with Kevin Agudelo to his left and Simone Bastoni to his right. Agudelo started over Viktor Kovalenko. Finally, Manuel Giassi and Mbala Nzola started together up top. So those were the starting lineups. Next, let's get to the match and I think we have to start with Giacomo Raspadori who scored the only goal of the match in the 89th minute. I think that goal really changed the narrative both of the match and of the performance of Raspadori. Regarding the former, if Raspadori doesn't score, all of the talk after this match would have been about Napoli's struggles against the quote-unquote smaller clubs, particularly at home and particularly against Spezia. Of course, we already drew against Lecce at home earlier in the season. We dropped points, in fact we lost both of our previous home matches against Spezia in Serie A, though we did win the home match against them in the Coppa Italia. Until the very last minute, it seemed like this was going to be another one of those matches where we dominate the possession, we create a ton of chances, but we just don't find the back of the goal. We'd probably also be talking about Spalletti out coaching himself again by rotating too much. Instead, we're still smiling. We're praising Spalletti, as we should by the way, but I'll come back to that in just a second. Regarding Raspadori's performance, I think a lot of people, myself included, would have been talking about how poor his finishing was. That doesn't mean he was bad. Actually, I thought he did everything well but finish. But when you have that many chances in a nil-nil match, people are going to point fingers. But like I said, other than his finishing, I think he played quite well. I thought he linked up really well with his teammates, You can see he's slowly building that chemistry with his teammates that was lacking in his first few appearances. Of course, it was his first goal for Napoli. I mentioned last episode that guys like Kim, Cavada, and Simeone are proving to themselves that they made the correct decision to come to Napoli. I think Raspadori did the same in this match. With all due respect to Sassuolo fans, I don't think he's ever received an ovation from fans like he did from the Maradona after he scored that goal. He posted about it on Instagram after the match and got even more love there, including from one of Napoli's biggest fans, Indri's Mertens. He commented on the picture saying, I knew you would score goals. Congratulations, my friend. I thought that was pretty cool and I love that Mertens has basically become a fan just like the rest of us. Now, I think we have to give Spalletti a ton of credit for leaving Raspadori in. Spalletti gave Raspadori a vote of confidence after the match as well. He said Raspadori played an exceptional game. He bonded a lot with the midfield. He did double duty today, making himself available on the left. He is a cross between a first and second striker, i.e. a nine and a half. Elmas has played several times on the left. My assistants helped me to move Jack. Bravo, Raspa. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I was hoping for Spalletti to replace Raspadori with Giovanni Simeone. Instead, Spalletti replaced Cavada with Simeone and moved Raspadori to the left wing. That was a very bold decision. Once again, Cavada looked like our most dangerous attacking player. He had a couple of shot attempts either stopped or blocked. The double nutmeg on Ampadu and Holm early in the match was really something else. And yet, Spalletti took him out, so I thought that was a bold decision, but clearly it paid off. That's a good segue to talking about Spalletti's squad choices for this match. I mentioned a moment ago that had we not won this match, a lot of people would have been questioning Spalletti's decisions. He rotated heavily for the Lecce match and we dropped points. That didn't really stop him from rotating for this match. Though I'd suggest his rotation was a little bit less extreme. For one, Mario Rui is typically a regular starter, even though he rotated in for Matthias Oliveira, who played midweek. Also, Spalletti did not change the system. He stuck with the 4-3-3, which I think was very important. Now, I was very surprised to see André Frank-Zambo and get another start in the midfield. He's now started in all seven matches in all competitions. With Kim resting for this match, only Alex Meret and Giovanni Di Lorenzo have now played more minutes than Anguissa. Now, clearly he was on a clock because he only played 57 minutes before he was replaced by Zielinski, who also got a rest. I'm pretty sure that was also a contributing factor in the aforementioned decision from Spalletti to replace Cavada instead of Raspadori. One decision that hasn't panned out that well so far, at least is starting and Ndombele. It was his second start of the season, the first being against Lecce, and in both matches he was replaced by Lobotka at the half. I think it's still too early to draw any conclusions, but it has to be said that Ndombele has been very disappointing in the matches he's played in. We saw Simeone put in a strong performance midweek against Liverpool and he scored in that match. We saw Raspadori put in a pretty good performance and score against Spezia. Those guys have shown a steady progression. and Ndombele has shown me very little to get excited about. It just seems like he's going for a casual jog out there. He's not getting into the right positions and his read of the game is slow and that is leading to late tackles. I think he will be Spalletti's biggest project this season, however... This just highlights what a remarkable job Giuntoli and De Laurentiis did this summer because they signed Ndombele on a very low cost loan, I think it was 500,000 euros for the season, with an option to buy for 30 million euros. They also got Tottenham to pay for most of Ndombele's salary, so if Spalletti can't get him playing well, then we can simply waive our option and look for a replacement. We also saw Spalletti give Gianluca Gaetano his first appearance of the season. It was his third-ever Serie A appearance. Last season, he played 18 minutes against Venezia and 1 minute against Genoa, so he nearly doubled his Serie A playing time with this appearance alone, which was 15 minutes long, and I thought he did fairly well. He whiffed on the shot before Raspadori scored, but because he got a slight touch on the ball, he earned himself his very first sedia assist now if there was one thing to be critical of spalletti for it was that he got himself dismissed after the goal his first yellow card was for descent spalletti wasn't happy with the constant time wasting from spezia his second yellow card was for celebrating the goal while walking in the direction of the spezia bench which caused a bit of an uproar between the two benches As a result, Spalletti will not be on the touchline for the big match against Milan next round. Spalletti will still prepare the squad during the week, but he won't be there to make the in-game adjustments and substitutions. And I have a bit of a cynical hot take on this. I don't know if you've noticed this, but I find that Spalletti has a tendency to make excuses even before we play big matches. If you don't agree with that, you might at least concede that he has a tendency to downplay expectations for big matches. And a part of me wonders if Spalletti intentionally got this second yellow card because now, if Napoli don't get a good result against Milan, Spalletti has a premeditated excuse, namely that he was not on the touchline. I know that sounds a little crazy, but that's why I said it's a hot take. The last thing I want to comment on regarding Spalletti is his little exchange with Mediaset and Tutto Sport journalist Rafael Auriemma. For those of you who did not watch the post-match conference, before Auriemma could even ask his question, Spalletti called him out for claiming that Spalletti had a fight with the locker room and that they did not want to play for him. Auriemma denied the allegations and then he had the nerve to tell Spalletti to bring him the audio recordings to prove his allegations. Of course, the internet never loses and almost immediately after the conference, the audio showed up all over social media confirming Spalletti's allegations. It was during a broadcast on Radio Marte, which was before Auriemma joined Radio CRC, shortly before the season began. Not only did the audio prove Spalletti was correct, Ariema also went so far as to say that De Laurentiis ought to sack Spalletti because you cannot start a season under those conditions, so I'll be very eager to see if Spalletti does in fact produce the audio recording at some point during the season. I'll close part 1 with a few comments on the play of Spezia. Luca Gotti said in his pre-match conference that Napoli forces them to change something. Spezia played a high line against Bologna in the previous round, and both of the goals they conceded in the 2-2 draw were the result of Marko Arnautovic getting behind the Spezia backline. Of course, we all saw what Napoli did to Liverpool's high press midweek, so it was no big surprise that the change Gotti made was to play in a low block. And credit to Spezia, they employed that low block really well. Napoli had 28 shot attempts in this match, and 14, half of those shots were blocked by the Spezia players and then when Napoli did manage to hit the target more often than not Drongovsky was there to make the save. He made some pretty important saves on Cavada, and Gisa and Zielinski though many of those shots caught too much of the goal. There was plenty of shithousery as well, whether it was slow throw-ins, fake injuries or half-hearted jogs towards the touchline for substitutions, Spezia did everything they could to waste time. Ironically, after Raspadori scored the late goal, Gotti was furious with the amount of stoppage time that was allotted. He claimed that the fourth official changed it from 6 minutes to 5 minutes after the goal went in and that the game didn't restart until 3 minutes after the goal. Either way, I'm not sure a few extra minutes of stoppage time would have changed much. As well as Spezia defended, they created next to nothing in attack. They managed 10 shot attempts. They managed, 10 shot attempts, but they managed 10 shot attempts, but only one hit the target, which was from Giasi on a Spezia counterattack just before the end of the first half. Spezia's XG for the match was 0.4, while Napoli's was 2.1, so the victory was certainly well-deserved. That will do for Part 1. In Part 2, I'll provide an update on the Primavera and on the Femminile. Welcome to part two of the Fort Synapoli podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by BetStamp. With the BetStamp app, you can compare betting lines across multiple different sports books in your region, which is the only way to get an edge in online sports betting. You can also buy and sell picks from verified accounts, and best of all, the app is free. There are no fees, no royalties, and no commissions. Just download the BetStamp app and be sure to use referral code NAPOLI when you create your account. Alright, with this crazy schedule, it's been a little while since I provided an update on the Primavera and the Femminile, so I thought I would take a few minutes to do that now. So let's start with the Primavera. The last time I provided an update was after our second round win, over newly promoted Cesena, I said in that match review that I was very concerned about the Primavera despite the win because Cesena dominated that match and we just happened to take our chances. We've played 4 matches since then, 3 in Primavera 1 and 1 in the UEFA Youth League and now I am even more concerned. The first of those four matches was against Sassuolo, which was a bit of a back-and-forth affair. Sassuolo left back Eduardo Pierangelo opened the scoring with a gorgeous goal in the 17th minute. He read the long ball, intercepted the pass, carried into the area, and fired into the top corner to put Dinero Verdi ahead. Napoli responded with a gorgeous goal of our own in the 34th minute. Benedetto Barba played a long ball forward to Antonio Spavone. The trequartista caught goalkeeper Joel Lizzaki off his line and beat him with a Pallonetto from just outside the area. That goal, which made the score 1-1, was Spavone's second goal in as many matches. The score stayed that way for the balance of the half, but Sassuolo went back ahead immediately after the restart. Davide Acampa was dispossessed by Kevin Bruno at the edge of the Napoli area. Acampa made a slight tug on Bruno's shirt, but it was enough for the Sassuolo forward to go down in the area to earn the penalty kick. Federico Casolari took the penalty and was stopped by Bofelli, but Salim Abubakar was first to the rebound to put Sassuolo back ahead. Credit to the Azzurini though, they did not give up and in the 66th minute, they found the equalizer for the second time in the match. Pasquale Maranzino did well to hold up the ball on the left wing before playing a chip pass to Gennaro Iaccherino at the edge of the area. He lobbed the ball to Francesco Gioielli in the area. The midfielder controlled the pass and fired past Zaki from a tight angle, so that made the score 2-2. It seemed like we were heading for a draw, but in the fourth minute of stoppage time, Three Sassuolo substitutes combined to put the Verdi back on top. Simone Cinquegrano lobbed the ball into the area. Boffelli made a fine save on Luca Sassanelli's header, but once again Sassuolo refers to the second ball. Flavio Russo head in the rebound to make the score 3-2, as Sassuolo went on to win their second consecutive match. A few other points worth noting from this match Fabio Cannavaro's son Adrian made his first appearance for Sassuolo as a substitute in the match, and unfortunately, Matteo Marchisano injured his ankle early in the first half and hasn't returned since he was replaced by new signing Lamina Ninge. Our next match was three days later against newly promoted side Frosinone. This match was far less eventful but once again we were the second best side. The play of center back Nosa Oberettin and goalkeeper Valerio Boffelli kept us in this match. Frosinone were definitely the more dangerous side in the second half and came close on more than one occasion. Meanwhile Napoli did not record a single shot on target for the entire second half and yet we nearly opened the scoring late in the match. Gennaro Iacodino won a free kick on the left wing. The midfielder took the free kick himself and played an in-swinging cross into the area. Central defender Luigi Davino won the header but the ball glanced off the top of the bar and stayed out. Like against Sassuolo, the match appeared to be heading for a draw when Frosinone made one last foray forward in stoppage time. Alessandro Salvini dribbled into the left side of the area and despite being well marked by Oberettin, played an excellent cross towards the first post. Substitute Simone Milazzo was first to the ball, and put a header past a helpless Bofelli to give Frosinone a very late lead. So for the second consecutive match, we conceded the game-winning goal in stoppage time. Next up was Liverpool in our opening match of the UEFA Youth League. This was another midweek fixture, so once again we were playing on short rest. Nicolo Frustalupi rotated his squad given the busy schedule, but that seemed to put us at a bit of a disadvantage. Liverpool were fairly dominant in the first half. They generated 8 shot attempts compared to Napoli's 0 in the first half, so it was no surprise when the Reds opened the scoring just before the half hour mark. Ben Doak, who was Liverpool's best player on the day, played a give and go with Melkamu Fraundorf at midfield, and the right winger did the rest. Doak carried the ball into the area before slotting a shot past backup goalkeeper Claudio Turi and into the back of the goal. Credit to Napoli, though, we looked like a completely different side in the second half, taking it to our English opponents. 10 minutes after the restart Pesce got behind the Liverpool back line but was well stopped by Harvey Davies. On the ensuing corner kick Lamina, who replaced Domenico Di midway through the first half won the header but missed the target. Thus in the span of 30 seconds Napoli had their first shot on target, first corner kick and first shot off target in the match. Lamina was clearly our most positive player bursting forward on the right wing. Just before the hour mark, he made a darting run down the right wing before cutting in and slipping the ball through for Pesce. The Napoli number 9 once again got behind the Liverpool back line and dribbled around goalkeeper Davies, who could do nothing but take the striker down for a penalty kick. Iaccherino stepped up and sent Davies the other way to make the score 1-1. Unfortunately for the home supporters at the Stadio Giuseppe Piccolo, the lead lasted only 8 minutes, Doke ran past Giannini on the right side of the area before playing a low hard ball into the danger area. Liverpool center forward Oakley Cannonier got in front of Susco and directed the ball into the back of the goal. Frustalupi emptied his bench in an effort to find the equalizer. The Diazzurini pushed forward and created chances, the best of which fell to Dylan De Pasquale in the 80th minute, but Davies did really well to push away the header from the midfielder. Unfortunately, the match finished 2-1 in favor of the visitors, but it was a performance Frustalupi could be proud of, and in my opinion, it was our best performance of the season. Finally, we played our fifth match of the Primavera Uno campaign on Saturday against Roma. Truth be told, I had very low expectations for this match. Roma finished top of the Primavera table last season, and because their senior team finished 6th in Serie A last season, They did not have a midweek fixture in the youth league. Thankfully, the Sportitalia app wasn't working, so after waking up at 5 o'clock in the morning, I was able to go back to sleep instead of watching this demolition live. Roma scored twice in the first five minutes of the match. Luigi Cherubini opened the scoring in just the second minute, picking the top corner after playing a give-and-go with Jan Oliveras. Roma doubled their lead two minutes later from a corner kick when Benedetto Barba inadvertently redirected the shot cross from Benjamin Tahirovic into the back of his own goal. Things settled down after that and though Roma still created the more dangerous chances, including Claudio Cassano's shot from outside the area, Napoli sort of held their own. We couldn't have asked for a better start to the second half with Nosa Oberetin heading in his first of the season, on the cross from Yakirino from the right wing. That made the score 2-1 and gave us a little bit of hope, but the hope was short-lived. In the 55th minute, Antonio Satriano held off Obrettin in the area before laying the ball off to Cassano. The left winger, who happened to be on the right on that occasion, blasted a shot off the near post and into the back of the goal. That was Cassano's fourth goal of the season. Cassano returned the favor just over 10 minutes later, dribbling past Daniel Susco before cutting the ball back to Satriano. The center forward calmly turned near the penalty spot before firing a low shot past Boffelli to give Roma a 4-1 lead. Satriano added his second of the match and fifth of the season with five minutes remaining in normal time and he would have scored a third in stoppage time had it not been for a fine save by Boffelli. With the 5-1 win, Roma moved temporarily to the top of the Primavera 1 table on 10 points, however they were surpassed by three clubs on Sunday. Torino moved to the top of the table on 13 points after beating Cesena 2-1, while Juve and Fiorentina moved into second on 11 points after they drew against Hellas Verona and Sassuolo respectively. Meanwhile, we are near the bottom of the table, tied with Cagliari, Atalanta, and Cesena on 3 points. We've lost 4 straight matches in all competitions, and we've lost 4 out of 5 matches in the Primavera Uno. 3 of those 5 matches were against clubs who are supposed to be our direct rivals, though both Lecce and Frosinone have started the season really well, with 3 wins, 1 draw, and 1 loss, They are both tied with Roma and Bologna in 4th place on 10 points. What makes matters worse is because of the youth league, we will have to play at least 6 more matches than most other clubs, including that match we already played against Liverpool. That is going to put a lot of strain on this squad. Frustalupi rotated heavily for the Liverpool match, which was good to see, but this will definitely take a toll on our players. Speaking of the youth league, the Azzurini will be back in action on Wednesday to take on the Rangers youth team. I'll close part 2 with a very quick update on the femminile. we played our first competitive match of the season which was our Coppa Italia opening match against Tavagnaco on Sunday, Unfortunately, I couldn't even find the highlights for this match, let alone the full match. Sadly, that's not unusual for the Coppa Italia Femminile, so this will be a very brief recap. We did get a first look at Dimitri Lipov starting 11, though it could change as he was without Melissa Nozzi, Sara Tui, Claudia Mauri, and Sara Tamborini for this one. Lipov lined up in a 4-3-3 with Sabrina Tasselli in goal. Martina Di Bari and Paola Di Marino started at center back. Aurora De Sanctis played at left-back in new signing, Antonio Dulcich played at right-back. Dulcich was just announced as a new Napoli player on Saturday, but that did not stop Leapoff from throwing her into the starting 11. Julia Ferrandi played in the center of the midfield with Lucia Strisciuli to her left and Michela Franco to her right. Romina Pina played on the left wing, Serena Landa played on the right wing, and Adriana Gomez started at striker. The Partenope got off to a great start with Gomez opening the scoring in the 13th minute. From what I've read, she had a really strong preseason and it seems like she carried that form into this match. Just like in the first half, Gomez doubled our lead early in the second half, but not before Lipov was dismissed for excessive complaints to the officials. With the help of substitutes Antonella Albertini, Eleonora Oliva, and Roberta Iliano who all made their debuts in the second half, Napoli conceded very few chances. Tavignacos scored a late goal, but it was too little too late, so we picked up three massive points in our first match. For those of you who don't know, the Coppa Italia Femminile groups consist of only three teams, and the entire group stage is only two matches long. The other team in our group is Pomigliano, so a win in that match would guarantee that we advance to the knockout stage. Depending on the outcome of the Pomigliano-Tavaniaco match, even a draw might be enough. For instance, if they draw against each other, then a draw for us against Pomigliano would be enough to see us through. The match between Pomigliano and Tavaniaco will be played on November 2nd, and then we will play Pomigliano on January the 8th. Meanwhile, the femminile continue to prepare for the start of the Serie B campaign, which commences this weekend. Our first match is against Trento Calcio Feminile on Sunday. That will do for part two. In part three, we'll return to the men's team and preview our upcoming Champions League match against Rangers. Welcome to part three of the Forza Napoli podcast. If you like the show, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash forzanapolipod. It's entirely voluntary, there are no set tiers, but it does help us to continue to produce content both on the podcast and on our website at forzanapolipress.com. Alright, we'll close the pod with a preview of our Champions League match on Wednesday against Rangers. This match was originally scheduled to be played on Tuesday, but because of the passing of Queen Elizabeth, it was postponed by 24 hours. Now the postponement did not have anything to do with required mourning periods, it was postponed for a much more practical reason, which is that because of the various events associated with the passing of the Queen, the Scottish police force will be stretched too thin to ensure the safety of those who are attending the event. I can certainly appreciate that, unfortunately for the same reason, visiting Napoli fans will not be permitted to attend, those fans who purchase tickets will be reimbursed but many will still be out of pocket because they likely would have already booked their travel and accommodation for the event as well. This was all captured in a statement issued by Rangers on their official website which also indicated that as a matter of sporting integrity, UEFA will not permit visiting Rangers fans to attend the return leg in Napoli. The passing of the queen has also impacted Rangers in the Scottish Premiership. They were supposed to play against Aberdeen FC on Saturday, but that match was postponed altogether. Though I'm sure that was a welcome break for the Rangers players. Between the Premiership, Champions League qualifying and the Scottish Cup, Rangers have already played 12 matches this season. They played two matches every week since July 30th, but I must say, they have managed quite well. They have a record of 4 wins, 1 draw and 1 loss in the league, which is good enough for second place. Unfortunately for Rangers fans, the loss was a 4-0 drubbing at the hands of bitter rivals Celtic. Celtic have had a perfect start to the season, so they're already 5 points clear of Rangers in the league. Celtic are certainly benefiting from having won the Premiership last season, which means they qualified directly for the group stage of the Champions League, so Celtic have only played 8 matches in all competitions, compared to Rangers 12 matches. Meanwhile, Rangers have had to play 2 qualifying rounds to get into the group stage, and they just barely got in. First they played against Royal Union Saint gillois of the Belgian Jubiler League, After losing the away fixture 2-0, Rangers won the return leg 3-0 and therefore advanced to the qualifying round with a 3-2 win on aggregate. There they played against PSV Eindhoven who finished 2 points behind league winners Ajax in the Dutch Eddivisie last season. The first leg finished 1-1 in Scotland and then Rangers won the return leg 1-0 in Netherlands to advance to the group stage. Credit to coach Giovanni Van Bronckhorst though, he seems to have found the right balance between rotating his squad to give players a rest, but leaving in enough starters to ensure consistent results. He has relatively few injuries to manage, Nambi Obafor is out with a heart condition while Yanis Hadji continues to recover from knee surgery. Meanwhile Luciano Spalletti will be without 3 players for this match. Diego Demme continues to recover from the foot injury he suffered in training. He has yet to complete a full group training session. Victor Osimhen is expected to be out for about three weeks with a second degree thigh strain. And Chucky Lozano was not called up for this match. He missed the training sessions on Sunday and Monday due to the flu and only did personalized training on Tuesday. So with that, let's get to the starting lineups. For Rangers, I think we'll basically see the same lineup from Van Bronckhorst that he fielded against Ajax. For that match, Rangers lined up in a 4-2-3-1 formation with John McLaughlin in goal, but we could also see a 4-3-3. Regardless of the formation, the backline should be the same. Connor Goldson and James Sands seem to be the preferred options at center back. Borna Badisic, who I think is a player you need to look out for, played at left back and captain James Tavernier should start at right back. I think we'll see Glenn Kamara and John Lundstrom in the double pivot behind Malik Tillman in the 10. If Van Bronckhorst uses a 4-3-3, then we could see Steven Davis play in the Regista role behind Kamara and Lundstrom. We could also see Tom Lawrence in the midfield as he's suspended for Rangers' next league match, so Van Bronckhorst may as well use him here. Up top, I think we'll see the usual front three of Ryan Kent on the left, Scott Wright on the right, and Antonio Kolak at striker. For Napoli, I'm expecting a number of changes once again from Luciano Spalletti, with Osimhen hurt, I think the 4-2-3-1 is a thing of the past, I only expect a 4-3-3 from now until Osimhen returns and possibly here on out. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that Salvatore Sirigu starts over Alex Meret in goal. Meret has played every game so far and Rangers should be our least difficult opponent in the Champions League, so this seems like a good spot for Sirigu. Also, I'm sure it's a dream of Sirigu's to play in the Champions League as well, so if he doesn't play here, I'm not sure he'll get another opportunity. Maybe he can play in the return leg, but that will depend on where we are sitting in the table at the time. Now I know you shouldn't start a player just because it's his dream to play, but I'm sure Sirigu does a lot of things off the pitch to help the club, so I think this would be a good way to reward him. At the back, I think we'll see Kim Min Jae return to the starting eleven after resting for the Spezia match, and I think we'll see Leo Ostergaard get another opportunity to play so Rachmani can be well rested for the Milan match. Now I know that's a lot of change, and I certainly wouldn't be surprised if Rachmani started, but Ostergaard and Kim played well together for the Lecce match despite the result, so I'm confident they can get the job done here. Since Matias Oliveira played against Liverpool, I think he will start again over Mario Rui at left-back, and of course I think Giovanni Di Lorenzo will play again at right-back because the guy just does not stop. Now I could be wrong about the midfield, but I think we're going to see our usual midfield three of Lobotka, Anguissa, and Zielinski. Lobotka and Zielinski both started on the bench for the Spezia match, and Angisa only played 57 minutes, so they should all be relatively fresh. I suspect the plan will be to establish a lead and then take at least two of them out, if not all three, by the hour mark. The same goes for Kvica Kvaratskhelia on the left wing. He also only played 57 minutes against Spezia, so I think he will get the start. With Lozano not in the squad, Matteo Politano will start on the right wing. I suspect we will see Alessio Zerbin at some point in this match because Politano almost never plays the full 90 minutes and most likely he will also have to start against Milan. Finally, with Giacomo Raspadori playing the full 90 minutes of the Spezia match, I think we'll see El Cholito Giovanni Simeone start at striker. So those are our starting lineups, next let's get to our 3 keys to the match and I'll go through these pretty quickly. My first key to the match is to control the match early on. This will be the first Champions League group stage home match at the Ibrox Stadium since the 2010-11 season so you can expect the stadium to be rocking. The place might be even slightly louder with the away section being sold to Rangers fans That support will give the home side some extra energy, some extra motivation at the start of the match. The onus is typically on the home side to go after a result like we saw Napoli do to Liverpool, so I think it'll be really important for us to be solid defensively at the start of the match and then slowly take over control. That will hopefully take the fans and the noise out of the match a little bit, though I imagine they will be singing all night long. And then we can impose ourselves and our game on the match. My second key to the match is to press high and force Rangers to make mistakes. We've seen Rangers buckle under pressure on a couple of occasions in recent matches. In their loss to Celtic, Celtic pressed high and McLaughlin passed the ball straight to David Turnbull, who put the ball in the back of the goal. And in their Champions League loss to Ajax, we saw Ajax press high and force an errant pass back which Steve Bergewin took advantage of to score for Ajax. Now, both of those goals were the fourth for Rangers opponents, so maybe we shouldn't read too much into them, but I do get the sense that Rangers are liable to making mistakes when put under pressure. My third and final key to the match is to play short, quick passes. Perhaps it's not quite a trend, but another commonality that I noticed between the two losses to Celtic and Ajax were that Rangers opponents were able to pass through the Rangers defense with relative ease. I don't know if this is just the result of poor defending or perhaps players who just aren't of the same quality, but Celtic and Ajax really dismantled that Rangers midfield and back line. That plays to our advantage because we are already a team who likes to build out from the back who likes to keep the ball, and who likes to play short, quick passes. If we start the midfield that I've predicted with Lobotka and Gisa and Zielinski, I suspect we'll be able to work the ball around quite well. Now, it should be noted that those matches against Celtic and Ajax were both away matches for Rangers, while this one is a home match, even the 2-2 draw to Hibernian and the 2-0 loss to Royal Union in the Champions League were away matches. Rangers have had a much better record at home. They're perfect in the league and in the Scottish Cup, though they've only played one match in the Scottish Cup. The only match they did not win at home was the first leg against PSV in the Champions League qualifying round. For my prediction, I'm going to go with a 2-0 Napoli win on goals from Piotr Zielinski and Kavica Kvaratskhelia. Even with all the rotation, I'm expecting a strong performance but given what I just said about Rangers' home form, I'm not expecting this to be a blowout. Hopefully we can jump out to an early lead, carry it into the second half, then empty our bench to rest our starters, but that never seems to happen when I hope for it. Don't forget, you can find the best betting lines in your region on your BetStamp app. Perhaps it's because of Rangers' home record, but you can find some pretty good odds on Napoli in this match, In my area, I can get Napoli on the money line at minus 111 and on the goal line at plus 164, which is great value considering I think Napoli will win by at least two goals. I'm going to stay away from the total in this one. It's sitting at two and a half, and with me predicting a 2-0 final, that's just a little too close for comfort. So that is where I'll leave it. I hope you enjoy the match, and I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, please give us a rating or leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. As always, if you need to get a hold of me, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore 5 or you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Patreon at Pod. I will be back later in the week to review this match and to preview our next one, which is a big one against Milan, but until then, I'm Joe Fischetti. Forza Napoli sempre! Sports Social Podcast Network